The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The National Women's Soccer League kicks off March 16th on ION. Out in front to Williams. It's a new Saturday night destination featuring the best players in the world. Takes a shot, she scores. See the full schedule and find where to watch at IONNWSL.com. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening. And enjoy the show. Disclaimer. Horror Hill is a horror anthology podcast, bringing you scary stories from all corners of the internet and beyond. As such, certain stories include content that some listeners might find offensive. Listener discretion is advised. Well, good evening, listeners, and welcome back to Horror Hill. 
I am your host, your storyteller, your voice from beyond, Eric Peabody. Tonight's episode includes two stories, both from newcomers to Horror Hill. But don't worry, they both have their horror engines firing on all cylinders. We'll begin our show with Lost Camera by Tom Russell. Have you ever lost a phone or a camera or a memory card and lamented the memories lost with it? Pictures of friends, videos of your pets, or even important materials for a job? If you have, you've probably harbored a small, but oh-so-tantalizing, fantasy that some kind soul would find it and return it to you. That's not the case with this story's protagonist. He doesn't need his camera back, as the memories contained within are already seared into his brain. In fact, this tale is really just a plea, a desperate plea, that the potential discoverer of his lost camera not return it, so as not to confirm the horrible events that were recorded therein. After that, we'll dive right into Autocorrect Liz by Kitty Olson. Our story opens with one of the universal fears held by almost all of us, accidentally calling someone by the name of an ex. Jacob, our protagonist, has started noticing that his ex's name is showing up in the text messages he sends, even as he starts paying dedicated attention to not letting it happen. His ex-girlfriend, Liz, vanished almost a year ago and other strange things begin to happen as the anniversary of her disappearance draws near. You're listening to the standard edition of this program. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy ad-free versions of this and hundreds of tales from our audio archives dating back to 2012, visit ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today and get instant access. Did I mention they're ad-free? Thank you for your support. And now, from author Tom Russell, I give you Lost Camera. If you find my camera, don't email me the damn footage. Apologies for the aggressive opening, but I'm in no mood to mess around. Snappy titles were always Ralph's thing. I hold the camera. My brain works in angles and shots, not words and phrases. I'm only telling you my story for two reasons. One... It might make you stay the hell away from the Vegas storm tunnels. And two, if you ignore reason one and you find my camera, this post may mean that you don't follow the if found, please return or email memory card contents to instructions I always made a point of keeping tucked into the camera case. I can't express this enough. I never want to see what we filmed down there. The thought that there's even a slight chance some naive, well-meaning urban explorer could find my camera and deliver evidence to me that what I've been drinking to forget did actually happen. Well, 
let's just say that it pushed sobriety further away than it's ever felt. Hopefully, after reading this, none of you will want to go knocking around down there anyway. That's kind of the goal. As my AA sponsor pointed out to me, nobody can find what nobody is looking for. If you've never heard of the storm drain network under Las Vegas or the homeless community that set up a city down there, stop reading now. I've already told you too much. You don't need to know anymore. Just stay the hell away from Vegas and live the best and most fulfilling life you possibly can. If you're one of the millions that are aware and have been considering a visit, you're the people I want to grab by the collar and shake furiously until you agree never to give in to the temptation. It's not worth the risk. There's more down there than even the most elderly of the tunnel folk know. The only reason the police aren't evacuating the tunnels as we speak is that I already tried going to them because I'm an idiot. They made it very clear that if I pressed the matter further, they'd have me sectioned. I'm not surprised. As soon as I start talking about this, the terror returns, and I start raving like a... well, like a lunatic. There's no other word for it. Why do you think I'm writing this down and not making a vlog? I did try. There's just no way that level of obvious abject panic eyes bulging to the bursting point and a forehead wet with fear sweats, wouldn't be interpreted as hard drug use. For context, it was the second time I'd been to Nevada to film the tunnel community. If you search for Las Vegas Tunnel Community on YouTube, there's a load of videos with view counts ranking in the hundreds of thousands, even millions. I won't say which, but there's one video from a notable indie not so much these days, millennial-focused media company. If you've seen that video, you've seen my first tour of the hidden world below Vegas. I don't want to give away any more than that, for reasons you'll understand by the time we're finished. The second trip, the one with Ralph, came off the back of that. He was a Vegas native, and through hearsay and gossip had come to learn that one of his former schoolmates had found their way down into a subterranean life underneath the desert city. Ralph's idea for his documentary was simple. Track down his old classmate, find out their life story and how they ended up living in the dark storm drains below Vegas. It was a good idea. Netflix was interested in the pitch, and so was I. That's why I said yes when he tracked me down and offered me the gig. After I got off the plane, we wasted no time heading to the outskirts of the city. More than a thousand people are living in the drains, and not all of them take kindly to outsiders, especially ones with cameras. I had a contact in the tunnels from my last visit and knew which of the wide, concrete entrances we could use without risking Ralph or I never returning. Well, that's what I thought at the time. You never know how ignorant you are until life slaps you in the face with your own stupidity. One of the reasons people are so drawn to footage and stories of the tunnel communities under Vegas is how much infrastructure the semi-permanent residents have managed to create. Water, power, 
even a rudimentary messaging service to get news or requests between the various pockets of subterranean activity. My contact, Trish, had access to a cell phone, and arranging for Ralph and I to meet her was much less of a hassle than the process of slowly gaining her trust had been the first time around. When she met us at the entrance, I was greeted with a hug. Ralph was greeted with a sidelong, untrusting glance. This was even after I introduced him and explained why he was here. Most of the tunnel dwellers find themselves there after living less than legal lives. Some are wanted. Cameras aren't exactly welcome sights, so it took me a while to assure her that Ralph and I were only there to find and interview a specific person. She still seemed skeptical, but agreed to show us around. Trish was skinnier than when I last saw her, although this wasn't really surprising. For all the amenities they've managed to jerry-rig down in the damp and dark, a steady and reliable supply of sustenance was never a guarantee. These days, Trish was little more than a mess of black hair and slack skin draped across a wire frame. The track marks on her arm painted the rest of the bleak picture. Ralph was lucky he contacted me when he did, I thought. Another few months and she may not have been around to grant us amnesty in the world beneath the strip. Ralph had a photo of his old schoolmate. I'll be honest, I don't remember what they looked like. Ralph showed me the photo several times, too. But after everything that happened once we'd made our way deeper into the tunnels, I guess my brain felt it had more important details to hang on to. I'd happily trade any of the flashbacks and nightmares for that trivial memory, but it was just that. Trivial. If you know what a MacGuffin is in movies, you'll understand why trying to scrape together what I can remember of the details Ralph gave me as we followed Trish down the pitch-black passages is a waste of time. Trish didn't know Ralph's missing person, but she told us she knew people who would. As I said, the tunnel communities had a rudimentary infrastructure, as well as communication channels. You can imagine that in such a community, safety was always a concern, especially for Trish and the other women and more vulnerable denizens. If anybody took up permanent residence in one of the dozens of pockets of encampments, the other under-Vegas settlements would know your name soon. Trish decided that the best thing to do was to take us to hers and ask around. I won't romanticize it. The tunnel villages aren't all the bohemian counterculture communes some filmmakers like to paint them as to make a statement about consumerism. Trish found her way there because her dependence on intravenous highs made life on the surface impossible during the daytime. Hers was a story of despair, a sympathy-inspiring perfect arrangement of unfortunate circumstances. The others, though... Some of the others hid from the world above for reasons devoid of innocence or decency. I'd had to warn Ralph about this. There were settlements which had never been filmed because people who went there never came back. Between the 1970s and 1990s, there were consistently more than a hundred serial killers operating in the United States at the same time, often over 150. 
And that's before you factor in the other real-life monsters like rapists, pedophiles, human traffickers, and the like. A lot of people commit horrific acts, and a lot of them are never caught despite years of intense searching. Let's just leave it at that. It was for this reason that I instructed Ralph to stick close to me and to never shine the torchlight away from Trish. You can understand why I was so furious when, after 20 minutes of following her through the dark, Ralph dropped the flashlight. Fuck, he whispered. Sorry, dude, hang on. I heard him splashing and fumbling in the inches of water that lapped at our ankles. Don't worry, bro, it's waterproof. It better be, I muttered under my breath, then shouted, Trish, hold on a minute. Ralph's dropped the flashlight. How come she doesn't need a flashlight? The sound of Ralph's voice asked. Because she lives down here. She's used to it. She can basically see in the dark, right Trish? Freaky, Ralph's voice replied. Before I could listen for Trish's jokey anecdote about needing to see in the dark to find your way home when you were... less than sober... There was a click, followed by the momentary blindness caused when bright lights invade pitch-black spaces. I winced. "'Trish?' I repeated, shielding my face from the torchlight to give my eyes a chance to adjust. Ralph continued jabbering away to himself. "'Dude, I'm glad I sprang for the waterproof one, you know. Wouldn't want to be stumbling around down here in the dark.' Can't make an award-winning documentary if you knock yourself out on a low-hanging pipe and drown in ankle-deep drain-off. He laughed at his own joke, then scanned the passage with the flashlight beam. The light revealed stained concrete walls, scurrying rats, and patches of moss clinging to the cool moisture away from the desert. As my eyes adjusted to the brightness, I realized what it hadn't revealed. Trish? I hazarded again. This time, my voice faltered, the pitch at the tail end of the question rising to prepubescent levels. Don't worry, bro, Ralph said, piercing the darkness in either direction with sweeps of the torchlight. She can't have gone far. She shouldn't have gone anywhere, I replied. The light had only cut out for a second or two. Before it did, Trish had been standing right in front of Ralph casting a stick-thin shadow on the rippling water as we trudged on. The water was still now, though, and Trish was no longer in front of us. She was no longer anywhere. Trish? The question bounced down the long tunnels, ricocheting off the pipes and vents peppered along the walls and ceiling. The darkness echoed my voice back to me a few dozen times, taunting me with it, but it offered no sign of our guide. Wait! Ralph's voice came from just behind the flashlight beam, his absent-minded bravado now gone. Has she actually gone? She couldn't have gone, could she? I asked, although more to the shadows than to ears as uninformed as Ralph's. The flashlight was only out a few seconds. We'd have heard the splashing if she'd run, surely. Ralph used the beam to poke and prod the darkness ahead some more. Aside from the occasional beady reflections in the eyes of the rats watching from various hidden cracks and holes in the walls, 
the way ahead was void of life. Showing the way we'd just come the same attention yielded identical results. Shit, 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 Ralph whimpered. He shone the flashlight under his chin so I could see his face. His inner brows were raised, cocky smirk gone. His trust-me-bro expression was replaced with bright eyes and a clenched jaw. I then realized the real reason he wanted an experienced guide. He'd been scared, afraid of something exactly like this happening. Listen, I told him. Don't worry. Trish probably just got spooked when you dropped the flashlight. Let's wait around for a few minutes. If she doesn't come back, we'll just turn around and walk the same way we came, okay? Ralph nodded, gulping. He didn't look too convinced as he went back to patrolling our small section of the waterlogged tunnels with the reassuring illumination of the flashlight. I'll be honest, there wasn't much I could say to placate him. I'd been fully aware of how dangerous these tunnels can be before coming here, more so than Ralph. All my experience did for me was turn my stomach in knots. Ralph was worried we may be in trouble. Beads of sweat were forming on my hands and palms because I knew we were. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. You can live out your MasterChef dream. When you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. I decided to do my best to not let him see that, though. Being stuck down here with a panicking Ralph was a much more frightening prospect than a calm one. Screams carry down here and you don't always know who will find them. After ten minutes of waiting, Ralph shone the beam under his chin again. She's not coming, he said, eyes still wide and darting. Take me back, now! Yeah, let's go, I replied, ignoring the barked order of his tone. It's crazy to think that, at that point... I still fully believed I'd go back to the hotel, then return tomorrow to meet Trish again, accept her apology, then find Ralph's friend and make a film good enough to get on Netflix. My genuine concern as we waded back through the dank, echoey way we'd come was making sure Ralph didn't get so spooked he called off the project. Considering how things panned out once we reached the first splitting of the tunnels, Reading out loud that those were the kind of concerns I had <laughs> feels ridiculous. Jesus, I'm actually laughing. What a fucking idiot I was. Is it left or right? 
Ralph was standing in front of the junction where our tunnel split along two paths. He hadn't spoken since we'd set off on our return journey. The quiver at the edge of his words told me all I needed to know about how he was holding up. To be fair to Ralph, I was in exactly the same position. The sight of the tunnel forking off made me realize that getting lost down here was becoming an increasingly likely outcome. Um, left, I replied, trying to mask the wavering in my own words and utterly failing. We didn't turn any corners when we came down here, I think, yeah? The right one's at a weird angle. We'd have noticed a turn like that, wouldn't we? Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. We'd have noticed. I admired Ralph's attempts to talk himself into confidence. The truth is that I had no idea whether we'd turned any corners before Trish vanished. I'm pretty sure Ralph knew that too. Perhaps he was playing the same game I was. Maybe he still thought the only thing at risk was the project and our working relationship. The bobbing light ahead of me took a step forward, then shot vertically towards the ceiling. Ralph yelled, and there was a loud splash from the same direction. I could see in the strobe lighting from the flashlight spinning through the air that he'd slipped onto his ass and must have thrown it into the air as he fell. I tripped on something. What the hell? Ow! The flashlight landed on Ralph's head, bouncing off his skull and landing somewhere in the water. As with the time before, the impact shocked it out of working. We were again in total darkness. What happened? I asked, ears prickling as they started to perk up and compensate for the sudden blindness. Are you deaf? I said I tripped on something, something in the water. Fucking hell, that flashlight's heavy. I could hear the splish-splash of him fumbling around in the underspill, searching blindly for our light source. Hold on, I said. My camera has an NOD attachment. You mean night vision? If you're twelve, I muttered under my breath rummaging around in my case and praying I didn't drop any of my definitely not waterproof spare batteries or memory cards. After a few minutes, I'd managed to hook up the NOD lens, in total darkness, I might add, and with sweaty palms. There was a ping as the camera whirred to life, and then I was bathed in the faint green glow of the LED viewfinder. I screamed so loudly that cement dust fell from the damp ceiling. At the moment the screen swam into focus, the lens had been pointed at Ralph. He was still sitting in the ankle-high river, sifting through the opaque liquid in a fruitless bid to find the flashlight. It was also pointing at something else, something long and slimy and pooling in the water around Ralph. Hair. A tangled mess of jet-black, very obviously human hair. At the center of the mass, a few feet away from where Ralph was crouched, was a lump. A lump that my brain desperately tried to convince me wasn't the back of somebody's head. Unfortunately, I knew this was a lie. I recognized the back of that head. Only half an hour ago, I'd been staring at it as its owner led us through the tunnels. Dude, what the fuck? Ralph yelled in my direction, 
rising to his feet. As he did, some of the hair caught around his ankle, yanking the lump in the water. Even through the grainy view, I knew the face that turned over, staring pale-eyed and slack-jawed at the ceiling. It was Trish. But it wasn't all of Trish. Other than her head and unkempt mass of hair, the rest of her was missing. Gone from the neck down. I registered the bile pricking the back of my throat long after it was too late to stop myself from puking. I bent over, retching into the wet void. Man, are you okay? What are... I grabbed Ralph in the dark and yanked him towards me, away from the floating web of hair. I fumbled around for the back of his head, pushing his face towards the screen to prove to myself that I wasn't going mad. It was Ralph's turn to scream, and scream he did, a piercing howl several octaves above what one would expect from a grown man. He also ran. Before I could stop him, he bolted down the right-hand fork of the tunnel junction. I yelled out in the direction of his footsteps, but before long the splashing and his unrestrained wailing were a distant echo on the audible horizon. To be fair to Ralph, he wasn't alone in running. Believe me when I say that I had no intention of spending any time around Trisha's severed head. The reason Ralph managed to disappear into the darkness before I could follow was simple. Ralph was faster than me. I pounded down the tunnels after him. My diaphragm ached, both from running faster than I ever had and from unleashed panic coursing through my system. I was empathetic towards Trish and her life there in the tunnels, but I'd only met her once. She wasn't what I'd call a friend barely even an acquaintance. I know it's cowardly, but no part of me was concerned with hanging around to find out how she met her unfortunate end. I had one drive and one drive only, getting the hell out of those tunnels. Unlike Ralph, I had my camera to guide me as I ran through the inky depths. Outside the screen, the darkness grew thicker, more crushing. The cloying smell of damp cement and stagnant water swirled and broiled in my lungs, making every panting breath feel like drowning. I held on to the small LED screen, latching onto it through the haze of blackness and light spots forming at the edges of my eyes. It was at that point when, by sheer accident of my thumb brushing the button, I started recording. Here is when the footage I never want to see starts. I didn't know where I was going, just that I had to go away from where I was. The most primal, untainted human emotion. The raw fear only those attempting to flee their own end experience. If you watch the footage, the first ten minutes are probably an almost unwatchable blur of dark green as I ran through the endless pitch-black tunnels. Once you hit the eleven, maybe twelve-minute mark, you'll know what I sound like when I literally piss myself and call out for my mom. That's the point that I found Ralph. I only noticed him because I had to stop to catch my breath and puke again. I was scanning the corridor ahead through the viewfinder, hoping I'd catch a glimpse of daylight, 
when I noticed a dark shape on the wall. A long, organic-looking object, crudely nailed into the cement with a thick rail spike. It was a human arm. Slowly, and despite protest from literally every instinct I had, I continued to pan along the wall. It was at the next object, a dismembered leg hanging from an ankle, that the crotch of my jeans started to feel warm. It was at the last object I saw, the one suspended above the other four, that I started begging the dark to summon my mother, to make this all go away, for her to come and chase away reality the way only a child believes their mother can. It was Ralph's face. Not his head, just his face. Torn from wherever his head was and hanged from the wall on a nail. The grotesque trophy of a hunter I never wanted to meet. It's fun to put them back together afterwards, but they never move. I felt a cool breath on my left ear. The whisper ripped every scream from my lungs. You'd probably hear it as though it was whispered right into the mic, like an ASMR clip. It belonged to a child. Except no child should speak that monotonously. No child's voice should have undertones of a blunt cleaver hacking through roadkill. You'd now be at the part of the footage that I need, for my own sanity, to believe isn't real. You'd see the view turn from the wall, hearing nothing but my rapid-fire shallow breathing. Then, something white would block the screen. You'd hear the faint splashes as I walk backwards, away from it. You'd have to turn the volume down as it swam into focus, as my screams no doubt had reached a volume that would make the audio peak and distort. You'd be looking at a face the face of a baby, except that you'd know that it wasn't a baby. No baby is so large that its head squashes and bulges against the ceiling. No baby's face is attached to a long, maggot-like body that fades into darkness further into the tunnel behind than you can see. And no baby has four needle-thin arms sprouting from behind each of its ears. You'd know that what you were looking at wanted you to think it was a human baby. You'd know, deep in the most primal part of your brain, that what your eyes were seeing wanted you to think it was a human being because of the red, dripping sack it carried in one hand and the rusted, stained tools it carried in the seven others. You'd look into its lifeless, glassy eyes and you'd know in your bones, why we'd evolved to fear the dark and the deep. Most of all, you'd know that it was looking right at you, and you'd know it knew you knew that, and that's what it wanted. You'd also count yourself lucky because you'd only have to look at this thing for a few moments. You'd have mere seconds of existential terror before the footage ended because that's when I dropped the camera. I didn't stop to think about what I'd seen. I don't think I could think, not anymore. All I knew 
All I was, was, run, run now, don't stop. I heard old full pelt through the dark, stumbling and tripping as I went, all the while trying to ignore the sensation of a cold breath on the back of my neck. Somehow, I made it to the surface. I must have found an access hatch ladder or one of the other ground-level entranceways. I'm not really sure. When I came to, I was ranting to a police officer about everything I'd seen from behind the bars of a cell. They honestly didn't care about Trisha's disappearance. I'd be lying if I said I expected any different. Ralph's remains were found a few days later, and he was chalked up as a victim of one of the aforementioned unsafe tunnel communities. They found none of my DNA on him or the nails holding him in place, and it was ruled that I didn't have the strength to drive iron into concrete, so they let me go. I got the first flight home. That was eight months ago. I tried to forget Vegas for several weeks, to move on with my life. I'd nearly managed to convince myself it had never happened, that Ralph had been dismembered by a serial killer, and that my brain had made up the rest as a defense mechanism. It was seven months ago that I started drinking. The reason? Because one morning, when I was out for a jog in my small, cold, and sleepy Michigan town, I noticed something out of the corner of my eye. There was a sewer grate by my feet. On the other side of the bars, I saw something. A glassy, lifeless surface reflecting the gray Michigan morning light. A face-sized baby's eye. I stood, watching it for a few moments. I just about managed to convince myself it was my mind playing tricks on me, that it was just water at the bottom of the drain, when the mirage did something unforgivable. It blinked. Since then, I've been struggling with not drinking myself to death. I leave the house to get booze on the good weeks, attend AA meetings on the bad. I need to believe it isn't real. I need it to not be. I need the pudgy white face following me from the bottom of the river as I walk across the bridge to not exist, even if a small kid pointed it out to his mom. I need the bus-sized maggot husk a hiker found in the forest last week to be a coincidence or an outdoor modern art installation. I need the recent disappearances of both my neighbors to be because of a nice, normal, harmless serial killer. So, please, if you find my camera, don't follow the instructions in the case. Don't email me the damn footage. I don't want to see it. No, I can't see it. If I see that footage... It means that all of this is real, including the needle-thin arms pushing their way up through the floorboards in my basement as I write this. You've been listening to Lost Camera by Tom Russell. 
Tom Russell has a pathological obsession with words, and when he's not writing fiction, he edits articles about movies and TV. He's UK-based, and the dreary weather definitely influences the outcomes of his messed-up stories. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Most of you listening right now are probably multitasking. Yep, while you're listening to me talk, you're probably also driving, cleaning, exercising, or maybe even grocery shopping. But if you're not in some kind of moving vehicle, there's something else you can be doing right now. Getting an auto quote from Progressive Insurance. It's easy, and you could save money by doing it right from your phone. Drivers who save by switching to Progressive save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Discounts for having multiple vehicles on your policy, being a homeowner, and more. So just like your favorite podcast, Progressive will be with you 24-7, 365 days a year, so you're protected no matter what. Multitask right now. Quote your car insurance at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. And now, to close out our evening, I present... Autocorrect Liz by Kitty Olson. LOL. Dude, check your last message. I think autocorrect screwed it. The text from Frank puzzled me for a second. How could have autocorrect messed with a one-word message? It wasn't until I scrolled up that I realized that my one-word message confirming we would meet for tacos that night had been changed to a two-word message. Sure, Liz. Part of me laughed, and part of me flinched. The part of me that laughed remembered the good times with the three of us, Liz, Frank, and me, growing up side by side, riding our bikes to each other's houses until we got our driver's licenses. When I asked Liz to prom, the almost year-long relationship that ended with us agreeing we were better as friends. 
The part of me that flinched was because Liz had gone missing almost a full year ago. Gone without a trace. Why the hell did Autocorrect choose now to remember her name? I shook off the surprise before I texted Frank back. Whoops, that's weird. I'll see you for tacos tonight, Frank. I typed his name in all caps, as if to emphasize to my phone that I wasn't talking to my missing ex-girlfriend, making sure it was sent properly before I set the phone down. Strange, but nothing more to it. My eyes wandered to the picture of us sitting on the shelf, and I picked it up to look at it a bit closer. It was taken about a month before Liz went missing, about two months after we broke up. Liz never let things get weird, that's just how she was. Casual, funny, she could take the teasing and dish it back out. She had a big smile in that picture, her braces on full show, her arms slung over Frank's and my shoulders as she sat in the middle. Frank was grinning all goofy while fiddling with his stupid yin-yang necklace, and I did my best to seem calm and collected around these two doofuses. Those were good times. I put the picture back down and let this bizarre coincidence almost fade from my mind, until I was texting Mara the next day. Mara and I had been dating for a few months now. We just decided to move towards becoming more serious. We'd been taking it slow. Mara had been more than understanding, given what happened to Liz, that I might not be super exuberant to be in a new relationship. Even if Liz and I had been just friends when she disappeared, it didn't mean that she didn't still mean a lot to me. I was sending Mara a meme and noticed it just when I hit send. Autocorrect had come for me again. Look at the gay rats, Liz. I swore, but it was too late. The text went through. I frantically sent a follow-up. Sorry, I did not mean to call you Liz. That was autocorrect, I swear. It was a moment of serious heart palpitations as the second text took its sweet time sending. I sighed with relief as it finally delivered, but of course, Mara had seen the meme text first. She replied first with three question marks, then, Oh my god, that's terrible. My mind legit blue-screened when I read your ex's name. Like, what the fuck? I was never more thankful to be alone than at that moment. My face was hot, and no doubt a dark shade of pink. I'm so sorry, babe. I don't know why my phone's been doing this lately. I called Frank, Liz, too. I sent back. LOL. Thank you for the gay rats. I hope your phone doesn't keep trying to make things weird between us. This is why I liked Mara. She never really overreacted to anything. She was calm and tried to be rational first. I'd never called her Liz before, in person or over text. I'd never even compared them. They were totally different people. There was no precedent to that kind of creepy behavior. Thanks, babe. I texted back. Love you lots. I almost, almost hit send again. But I double-checked, and I couldn't have been happier that I did. Yup. Love you lots, Liz. More quiet swearing as I hastily erased Liz's name from the end of that text before I sent it. 
my phone was genuinely trying to get me in trouble. I went into my phone's autocorrect section and scanned for my ex's name, trying to see if someone had fiddled with it to prank me. Liz had actually done that once. Any time I typed the word yes, it would autocorrect to throw that ass in a circle. She'd seen something like that on the internet somewhere and thought it was hilarious. This would be her kind of humor, I noted as I put my phone away. She loved goofing with my phone or my computer. Nothing serious, just add-ons to turn every picture into Nicolas Cage or, like I mentioned above, the autocorrect thing. Having my messages end with her name was just her style. But she'd already been gone almost a year. There wasn't any way she could have messed with my phone. Actually, I pulled up my calendar app. I put all the important dates in there. I'll forget them otherwise, especially things like birthdays. And I hadn't bothered to take out Liz's birthday, which was in two days, which was also the day she disappeared. What a coincidence, I tried to tell myself as I put my phone away. What a strange, disturbing coincidence. The nightmares I had that night drove any thoughts of coincidence far away. The place I was in was dark, the kind of dark where you can't see your hand in front of your face. I blindly reached out, trying to find a wall, furniture, something to grab onto, when a light flashed on only a few feet away. For a second, it was blinding, but my eyes adjusted and then I saw Liz. She was still wearing the dress I'd seen her in last, but it was practically rags, splattered with mud and dark red. Her matted hair was hiding her face. In her hands was a phone. My phone. I recognized the case. I tried to get closer to Liz, but it was like any step I made took me farther away like walking against a treadmill. Liz didn't look up, but I saw her fingers punching away at the buttons on my phone. I heard her harsh breathing, the kind of breathing that comes after sobbing. Liz! I called out to her. She started to look up, tangled hair parting from her face. Oh, God. Her face. Her bloodied swollen with bruises face. I woke up with cold sweat dripping down my spine. I could barely breathe. I looked around and saw my phone had been knocked off my nightstand to the floor. I gulped before I leaned off the bed to scoop it up. I had to test something. I scrolled for what felt like forever to get to the last phone conversation I had with Liz. I didn't send a text. I just typed out her name and hit space to see what autocorrect would give me. Those three options on the top were all in caps, and they weren't things that would rationally come up in autocorrect. Cold. Find me. Help me. I won't lie, I did believe in ghosts before all this. Too many spooky sleepovers at my grandma's house that was probably haunted set me on that course in life. But this was far more jarring than any bump from the attic. I didn't sleep the rest of the night. I didn't even try. 
I headed to the computer and pulled up Google Maps. I'd seen Liz the day she disappeared. I remembered telling her to check her Steam when she got home. I'd gotten her a new game she'd been wanting to try. She'd never accepted the gift, and I knew she would have hit accept the moment she popped onto her computer. That worked with her parents' stories as well. Liz had never come home that night, so something had to have happened on the way back. I knew the normal route she took. I knew it like the back of my hand. I walked it back and forth almost six times before Frank's car pulled up next to me. Dude, I thought I was the baked idiot in our friend group. I snapped out of my daze and looked at Frank, who was half hanging out his window with a goofy smile on his face. The fuck you doing? He asked. Liz usually took this route home. Did you see her before she disappeared? I asked. Frank thought for a second before he shrugged. Nah, I don't think so. What's got you so jumpy? I chewed my lip before deciding the best lie was the partial truth. I think something happened to her on the way back from my house, trying to figure out what it could have been. Maybe someone hit her with their car, or she got attacked? Frank snorted and shook his head. My guy, do you forget how bright these streetlights are? He gestured to them. And how many hours we ran around at night when we were kids? No one kidnapped or hurt Liz. You know what really happened? I leaned in, eager to hear a proper theory. She's taken off for greener pastures. She always wanted to go to college on the coast, right? That's probably where she is. I should have known better. I sighed as Frank shrugged. She just needs space after you broke her heart. There was no heartbreaking. I rolled my eyes. We both decided we were better as friends. Point was made, though. The odds of Liz meeting trouble on her usual route were nil, especially without any witnesses. See you online tonight, Frank. Frank waved before he drove on. Didn't offer me a ride, but I wouldn't have taken it. I needed to think. If Liz didn't get in trouble on her main route, she had to have taken a different one. Back to the maps. I knew them by heart, but I had to look at them. Try to think of any way she would have gone that could have gone wrong. The problem was that there wasn't really any place that could have happened. We lived in a good neighborhood. We knew these streets. We knew what places to avoid, and Liz would never have gone somewhere that she thought had any risk. Any time I checked my phone, autocorrect was repeating its same messages. Liz. Cold. Help me. Find me. I stared at the map until my eyes burned. I closed my eyelids, but all I saw was Liz, curled up, gripping my phone so hard her knuckles were white. It snapped me back to attention. Liz's ghost was reaching out to me. I was going to find her. Jacob? I had spent the whole day on my computer researching, and I didn't even hear Mara enter my room. She half smiled and offered me a McDonald's bag. You haven't been responding to my texts. Are you okay? I know you're having a rough time since Liz's missing anniversary is coming up, so I brought you your favorite. 
I could smell the filet fish from where I sat and realized I was starving. I hadn't stopped my research even to grab a snack. I gratefully accepted the offering of food before I decided it was safe to tell Mara what was going on. I think Liz died. Mara sat on my bed, eyebrow raised. Unlike me, she was not a believer in the supernatural. I mean, she has been gone a while, but you can't be sure. I can be sure if she's using my phone to contact me from beyond the grave. I handed my phone to her. Go on, look at the autocorrect, I said. Mara cocked an eyebrow before she looked it over. All I'm getting are sentence starters and pronouns. Are you okay? Are you freaking kidding me? I took the phone back. Sure enough, no more autocorrect messages. It was doing it earlier, I swear! Right, of course. Mara obviously didn't believe me. That stung, but it wasn't like the proof was there anymore. I huffed and spun back around in my chair, practically inhaling my fish sandwich in a single bite. I have to find her. I'm just at a dead end. I can't think of any way she would have taken that something could have happened and no one would have seen anything, I mumbled. I felt Mara lingering over my shoulder. For a second, I thought she was about to lose her temper at me. Then she hummed quietly and said the most obvious thing. What if she didn't go straight home? I mean, she was visiting most of her friends, since it was her birthday, but she wasn't going to have a party. You may not have been her last stop. And if she was going to Frank's... Mara zoomed out and ran her finger around the route. See? It takes her right past Walton Woods Park. Could have had an accident there, and since it's all that forest... Oh, duh. It all made so much sense. Frank told me he didn't see her, but if something happened to her on the way... I glared at my phone before I scooped it up. Come on, Liz. Are you in the woods? I asked mostly to myself as I punched in her name. Cold. Woods. Find me. I'd half expected the autocorrect to stop working when it spat those three out. I didn't say anything. I just turned the phone towards Mara. Mara's eyebrows fled into her hairline as she stared at the words. You're not just screwing with me, right? She asked. No, I'm going to find her. I didn't even bother eating my fries. I bolted out of the house, Mara hot on my heels, telling me to hold on. She couldn't run in the shoes she was wearing. I didn't care. I would have just ran the whole way to Walton Woods, but Mara grabbed the back of my shirt and hauled me into her car. It was close to evening when we pulled up to the stretch of road passing Walton. Now this, this was the ideal place for something to happen to someone just walking through. Not enough streetlights, a mostly vacant stretch of road with nothing but trees closing in around you. Mara pulled into the small lot in front of the park, and I was out of the car before she'd even come to a full stop. Okay, let's try playing hot and cold. I pulled my phone out, 
my hands sweaty with exhilaration. I started walking towards the path. Liz, hot or cold? I typed in her name. Cold, cold, cold. I changed direction. Warm, warm, find me. Okay, this way. I gestured Mara along as I headed in the direction the autocorrect directed me. This was insane. I knew it was, but I was so pumped up I had to keep going. Mara followed behind, making sure I wasn't going to walk into a tree with how my eyes were glued to my phone. The park was empty, which was best since we were going off trails and I didn't want anyone getting the wrong idea. Where was she? Why did she go off into the park herself? Was she meeting someone here? Did someone grab her and force her into the park? Why didn't she tell me she had anywhere else to be that night? Hot, hot, hot. Wait, wait, we're hot now. Look around for anything that could be her. I blurted out, finally looking up from my phone. Mara took a deep breath. If this turns out to be you playing an elaborate prank, I'm dumping you, she said as she swiveled her head side to side. She finally ended up pulling out her own phone and turning on the light. We were quiet as we walked in circles, searching, looking. Another step, and I felt something crunch under my foot, and it wasn't a branch. It sounded like plastic. I pulled my foot away, and my breath caught as I realized I'd stepped on a phone that was only partially buried. It was covered in mud and probably too water-damaged to ever work again, but I saw a swath of pink butterflies. Liz's cell phone case. Mara, over here! I found something! Mara bounded over, and I heard her breath catch. Holy shit! You did actually find something. Let's start clearing away the leaves. I threw myself to the ground and dug through years of dead leaf and plant matter. I caught my hand on a thorny stem, but I just shook the blood away and kept digging. One of my fingernails peeled back as I reached dirt, but I just kept digging. I kept digging until I found a skull. Mara whispered a prayer and crossed herself as my hands clutched the top of the skull. Is it? It could be... Maybe it's someone else, she whispered. I shook my head as I wiped away dirt from the top teeth. Her braces were still in place. My hands shook as I realized I was holding on to Liz. Liz's skull... She really was dead. I sobbed as I dropped it back into the dirt, tears trailing down my cheeks that I tried wiping away with my dirt-covered hands. Liz was dead. She chose to talk to me in the way she loved to prank me, by messing with my phone. I was kneeling above her fucking bones. Mara wrapped her arms around me, still quietly praying for a few moments until she trailed off. What's that right there? I shuddered before I shined the light onto where I imagine her neck used to be. 
My blood turned to ice as it illuminated a yin-yang symbol. I grabbed it and pulled it up, revealing it was still attached to the necklace. Everything just screeched to a stop. For several seconds, all I could hear was the blood pumping in my ears. It took me several more seconds to realize Mara was saying something. Jacob? Jacob, what is it? What's wrong? This is Frank's. I stood up. Call 911. Tell them you've found Liz and wait here till they get here. I don't want her to be alone. Thank you, Mara. You didn't believe me, but you helped me anyway. I love you. I walked off, ignoring Mara asking what I was doing, why I was leaving. I didn't turn back. I was just going forward. I knew Frank would be alone. His mom worked the late shift, and around this time he would be getting stoned and playing Overwatch. I knew where the spare key was hidden. I let myself in. I could hear the microwave beep just as I got in. Mom, you're home early. Want some pizza rolls? Jacob. I probably looked a sight. Covered in mud, bloodied hands from my torn nail and scratches from the thorns, eyes staring into Frank's surprised face. I raised the necklace to eye level, and Frank didn't need to say anything. The blood draining from his face answered for him. I found her, Frank. I found your necklace, too. Frank audibly swallowed. Jacob, it's not what you think. Everything went red after that. Everything was red and screaming and excuses. It was an accident. I didn't mean to. I gave her my necklace because I liked her. She refused to give me a chance. I just got so angry. She hit her head. I didn't mean to push her. I panicked. I just panicked. I'm sorry, Jacob. I'm fucking sorry. Help me. God, don't kill me, Jacob. Please. Jacob, don't. When the red haze faded from my eyes, it didn't fade from my aching hands, now soaked in blood. It didn't fade from the lump of meat in the kitchen either. Frank had tried to run. He didn't get far. I sunk to the floor next to Frank's beaten corpse. I could hear sirens in the distance. Getting closer, not close enough. They were going to Liz. They'd come for me soon, too, but I didn't care. I just didn't care. You've just heard Autocorrect Liz by Kitty Olson. Kitty, the odd cat lady Olson, is a young writer currently living in Illinois, but her heart always remains in Michigan. 
She's been writing since she was young, and over the past couple of years has developed a knack for writing horror. She has a small following on social media and has gotten attention for her short stories such as The Cat Lady and The Walls Sweat, available on her Tumblr and Reddit accounts for all to read. Well, that ends our broadcast evening, listeners. Please join me in thanking Tom Russell and Kitty Olson for letting us feature their stories tonight. And I'd like to remind you that we're going to be closing out this season with a full read of the horror classic, The Events at Porath Farm, by Ted Klein. That will be airing during the first and second weeks of August, but I guarantee that there will be no shortage of terrifying tales between now and then. If you somehow need even more frightening fables, I'd recommend checking out the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel and podcast, which has enough horror to keep you more than satisfied. Until next time, listeners, stay spooky. If you enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to me. If you'd like to hear a premium, ad-free edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes, visit ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen where you can become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, including past episodes of this program, all of our other shows, and hundreds of standalone releases, all of them ad-free and available to download or stream. Thanks so much for your time and for giving our sponsors a try today. When you support our sponsors, you help support this show, and that means a lot to me. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases, and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. As for me personally, you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, username VikingGuitar, and also on Instagram as Viking Guitar Productions. In particular, if you're looking for someone to provide voice work for your own project, or are in need of audio production of any sort, it would be wonderful to chat. Until next week, listener, when we meet up once again atop the Horror Hill for yet another dance with darkness, I bid you good night. Sleep tight, listener, and if you hear scratching at your door, don't open it. The darkness may have found you, but it's up to you to let it in. You've been listening to the Horror Hill Podcast, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's episode was hosted by, and its featured tale performed by, 
Yours truly, Eric Peabody. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Nikki McSorley and Eric Peabody. Finalization by Craig Groshek and S.K. Brown. Got a terrifying tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to us today at submissions at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your work considered for future production. If you enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, please subscribe to us to make sure you never miss an episode and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on social media to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and our other programs. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every week. And don't forget to hit the thumbs up button to let us know how we're doing and leave us a kind comment. Lastly, don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archives and ad-free downloads of all of your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, you can hear more of my work on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights podcast. However, I will be back next week with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. If darkness is what you're after, listener, your search is over. Yet, let it be known, you haven't found the darkness. The darkness has found you. The Angie's List You Know and Trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.